Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Tony Huang. Tony is the co-founder and CEO of Possible Finance, a financial technology company fighting to make financial services accessible and fair for all. Tony knew that he wanted to have some type of social impact in his career, so he had planned on becoming a teacher after graduating. This is when a serendipitous opportunity of planning an entrepreneurship conference on campus arose, and he discovered that he could use business as a conduit for social impact instead. After graduating from Harvard University, Tony joined a civic technology company called Axon that pioneered the idea of putting body cameras on police officers. This is also where he would meet his co-founders of Possible. They explored different ideas in how to use technology to serve lower income and minority communities. Where, that is where they came up with the idea that blossomed into Possible Finance that it is today. Welcome, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Shauna. Appreciate the warm uh, introduction and it's great to be yeah. here with you. Yeah, good to see you. So I started the podcast with a lot of rapid fire. Um, what's so funny is that I was helping a friend who's single uh, do a match like profile and I'd never mm. been on one of the, I've been married for a million years. I'm like old lady, but I was like, this is fun. The questions that they had her asking, I'm like, these would be good for the podcast. <laughs> so they're not like, some of them were like inspired <laughs> by match.com and like, they're good questions. Um, okay. So if you had an extra hour in the day, what would you spend it on? Ooh. Catching up with uh, an old friend over a phone call. Nice. What is a hobby? A hobby, sorry, that you hope to pursue. Uh, during COVID, I've been trying to pick up uh, how to play the guitar. It's not going so well, so I, I'd want to get better at that. Nice. That's a really good skill to have. My husband plays the guitar, and it's it's awesome when he pulls it out. Um, yeah. What was your favorite subject that you studied in school? Uh, I think in high school, it was probably history. I'm a big history nerd. Um, and in college, it was, it was psychology, just how, to, how do people think and how do groups interact with one another was really interesting to me. Yeah, I was going to be a psych major. I actually switched to sociology, which I know is like mm -hmm. made fun of, but I think it's also a fascinating subject to like how, you know, cultures and groups work together. Right. But I, I do know that it is also close to my... Um, where I was living, like the building. Yeah, and it's a little bit of history as well. A little bit so of that's history. that's really interesting to me. Yeah. What is, this is my Debbie, Dem, Debbie Downer question. What is your biggest regret? Oh, that's a tough one. Honestly, I have very few regrets in life. You know, I, 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 uh, I want to focus on the present and I learn from every mistake. Um, but if I could convince my 17-year-old self to major in computer science, that would have been pretty helpful. Yeah. Give well, now, now that you're in technology now, right, now, right. now it's like, oh yeah, I've got the perspective now. Um, is there a job that you would do for no money? And if so, what would that be? Uh, yeah, I think my job now, to be honest, if, if I could, uh, you know, there's no better job that I could imagine. And 
um, you know, I love what we're doing. I love the mission. I love the impact. I love the team. I love the personal challenge and learning that, that I've experienced over the last three years. So yeah, um, it's really the, the best job I've ever had. I really can't believe it's been such a short period of time and all that you've accomplished. And I can't wait to dig into, uh, to the story. What, um, what's a current vice? You have to have one. Cause I know I've got plenty. I'm trying to oh. get rid of during COVID. Johnny, you're so good at asking questions. Uh, <laughs> you know, when I, when I get nervous, I think I tend to, I tend to bite my nails. Mm. I know it's gross as an adult, uh, but I think I've had this habit since I was a kid and, yeah, um, I used to bite my just, nails. Now, now you can see I've got very beautiful nails, but I bit them and then I put on that gross stuff. It actually helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but right, I so my girlfriend's that. been she's been catching me in the act and and helping me and uh, trying to play the guitar without nails is actually pretty tough. So yeah. I think it, it would help my guitar efforts as well. Yeah, now you've got the now you've got uh, a mission at the end, right? I that's it. right. That's right. A motive. So tell me all about. Yeah, you're motivated by it. So tell me all about your childhood. You're you're raised in Boston. Do you have the no Boston accent? A Boston? No, no Boston accent. I was actually born in China during um, the one child policy, um, and then my parents uh, immigrated to um, Cambridge, Massachusetts. My dad was a research scientist at uh, MIT. He was a physicist in China. Um, and kind of gave up um, you know, the opportunity to advance his career in China to really start kind of at the bottom here in the U.S. Uh, you know, luckily at a, at a great establishment, um, but, um, you know, just working in a physics lab here. And that's how I ended up in the public school system in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts as an yeah. eight-year-old. And so you moved here at age eight. Did you speak English? Not at all. So I learned how to you know, do my ABCs here in, in, uh, in Cambridge when I came. I mean, I remember crying and, you know, my mom forcing me as an eight-year-old to, to learn the ABCs. Yeah. Uh, and Did then they just sent TV? me to, oh, TV was how I learned English. Yeah. Everybody, that everybody says that so well. everybody I've interviewed on the podcast who came from another country who didn't speak English. And I say like, how'd you learn? Cause that sounds really intimidating to me and mostly have been bullied, frankly, for not speaking English. Um, all said that they watched like soap operas or like Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you watch? Mm -hmm. uh, I watched a lot of The Simpsons as a nine-year-old. I'm not sure if that was completely appropriate, uh, but you know, it was a cartoon show. So, uh, and you know, just all these like game shows and, you know, Saturday cartoons, of course. Another thing my parents did very early on, you know, it was maybe a month of me being in the U.S. They sent me to uh, an all-day summer camp, um, you know, the YWCA in uh, Cambridge, um, and just like threw me in there into the deep end of the pool, you know, for eight hours, nine hours a day. So you wow. kind of you kind of figure it out as a you know a nine-year-old. Um, yeah. So very grateful to to my parents having you know yeah. made the sacrifice to come to America and to give me a better future. And how does it shape your? I guess this is maybe too intense, especially right now because we're recording it and we're waiting for the results of the presidential mm. election. But like, how does it shape your experience as an American, having come from another country? Like, do you do you yeah. feel more American, or is, does China feel like home still? Because that's your roots. No, I I, I definitely um, I definitely I am American, and I, I I'm very much in touch with you know, what it means to be American. Uh, you know, our, my parents made the decision to be American. And when you have that active choice, you know, you really evaluate your decisions and uh, you, you weigh the pros and cons. And 
um, you know, I think there's no one out there that's more patriotic than, than my dad uh, for this country and for the love of democracy and what it means for, for democracy uh, to be in America. Having lived and grown up, you know, in um, a communist country, and he, he actually was a part of the Tiananmen Square, you know, protest as a student um, oh, at Peking wow. University at the time. Uh, and um, yeah, you know, that he was very, you know, politically active and very aware of what was going on in the country and was trying to make it better. And, um, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why he decided to stay in America when he had the opportunity. So for me, you know, having seen their struggles and having a more, I guess, international mindset growing up, um, you know, it was, uh, it was really illuminating and, and it made me appreciate, um, you know, the unique aspects of being American, which, you know, I deeply cherish today. And, you know, I hope we're fighting to protect uh, our democracy and these ideals. Absolutely. And did they try to seek out a community like a Chinese American community or or did you guys just kind of assimilate mm -hmm. and just kind of try to blend in? Um, luckily in uh, Cambridge, it's a very diverse um, community, uh, not just of, you know, Asian Americans, but of, um, you know, refugees from Southeast Asia, from African countries. Um, you know, it was just a, a great melting pot for, for me to grow up in. Um, so we did get a lot of uh, experiences with, um, you know, other Chinese American families um, like us. Um, as well as, um, you know, people from all over the world, which I think yeah. was, was really, really formative for me growing up, uh, you know, as a, as, as a kid in, in Cambridge and having, you know, friends and, and exposure to uh, just all types of different cultures and, and backgrounds. Yeah, I'm sure. And are your parents just must be so proud of you now? Are they still alive and thriving and still in the area? Um, they are. Yep. They still reside in Boston. Um, luckily, they're, uh, they're retired now. Uh, I, I had the good fortune of, you know, taking care of their mortgage last year. And uh, that was just an incredible feeling for me. You know, I'm the only child. So um, making sure my parents were taken care of, they no longer had to work, um, uh, was really meaningful. And uh, they're, they're happier than imagine. they've ever been. Right. Uh, they're living their best lives. They're which living is, their which best is incredible lives. incredible to see. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. And so tell me about your childhood as far as, um, I know that you have a family of educators around you. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them are teachers and you thought, I read in the intro that, um, you know, you were gonna go that path. Mm -hmm. And at what age did you decide, kind of like, I think I wanna be a teacher? Yeah, you know, um, my, uh, my grandparents in China were all teachers on both sides of the family. My uncles were teachers, my great aunts were teachers. Uh, both my parents had taught at some point in their lives. Uh, my dad wow. was a, a college teacher. Um, and uh, my, my parents actually met, um, you know, in high school, um, you know, in this one small town in China where my, uh, my mom's dad and my mom's mom were both teachers and they taught wow. both my parents. So, oh, that's so, the, so cute. Yeah. Education and, you know, educators was just deeply deeply respected in my family and you know there's a, a track record there so i've always thought about becoming an educator and a teacher um and uh it, it was just really interesting uh of a profession and the ability to give back i think the ability to influence others uh for the better um was uh kind of inculcated in in me as as a young person you know growing up with family members who are all in that profession um, 
and luckily, you know, I got the opportunity to uh, to do some teaching um, while I was an undergrad. So uh, I definitely feel like yeah. I, I scratched that itch and you know almost very came very very close to uh, to becoming a teacher rather yeah. than you know working in the technology space. Yeah. So I read that you were teaching fourth grade at MLK Elementary where you went, and so mm -hmm. I also read that you went to Boston Latin School. Tell me about that school yeah. and where where was that relative to Cambridge? Were you just like commuting in? Sure. Or how did that work? Yeah, so so I uh, I grew up in Cambridge um, for elementary school and went to the Martin Luther King Jr. Elementary School in Cambridge. Uh, MLK Elementary was was very diverse, uh, as you can imagine, and um, a lot of refugee kids as well from all over the world. Um, and it was it was an amazing experience as as a kid. Uh, and the the school MLK was was actually two blocks away from Harvard. University, Harvard College, to be specific. Um, uh, I had the good fortune of, of attending Harvard later, but um, it didn't, uh, it wasn't lost on me uh, how far apart these two institutions were, you know, MLK Elementary and Harvard uh, College, despite the close physical proximity, um, it was just a different world to me and the kids in my community who grew up in Cambridge. So. Um, it, it was just a, an amazing opportunity to go back to my alma mater, MLK Elementary, to teach fourth grade, you know, where I had attended fourth grade. I actually ran into my fourth grade teacher while I was there. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I, I got to volunteer a lot um, as an undergrad at Harvard um, through the, the, the PBHA programs um, on campus where, you know, we brought Harvard students to various housing projects across Cambridge and Boston to uh, mentor inner city youth. And I had actually experienced some of those mentorship as a kid, you know, going to MLK Elementary and Boston Latin. So it was just a, a really special way for me to give back. Um, oh, that yeah. felt incredibly fulfilling. So I was studying developmental psychology, you know, I was working in, in labs, doing research uh, with kids and um, thought I wanted to do Teach for America and become a teacher like the rest of my family. Um, so that was kind of my path until you know, I, I stumbled into a social enterprise conference on campus. I got to meet these just brilliant founders who not only were building businesses that were really interesting, but were having social impact in ways that I deeply, deeply respected and were having impact in ways that were way bigger um, than the impact that I was having, you know, running nonprofits on campus and, and as a teacher. And that's when I kind of realized that a a sustainable business model is the biggest amplifier to social impact you can have. So I didn't do Teach for America or become a teacher. I ended up uh, pivoting my career at that point and uh, joined, you know, a civic technology company that was working on body cameras for police officers. Yeah. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah, Axon's really cool. I think I told you when we were catching up that they've been a client of ours. And um, I remember the GeekWire mm. event, they got like coolest office space or something. And that's right. And that mm -hmm. office is just super cool. And all the people that work there um, that we've worked with over time are amazing. Um, I can see that being a really cool company to cut your teeth in. But like, how do you even, how do you even get that job? I did read that you did Code Fellows. But that's kind of not usually as a recruiter. That I was say, after. Oh, okay. Because I was like, usually that's not quite enough. Um, right. Also saw that you got an executive certificate from MIT and Berkeley. Like, I'm just curious, like how you prepped yourself to mm -hmm. to get the role at Axon, and how did you even how'd you get you it? Know, you know, it's so random. Um, 
you know, going to a, a place like Harvard for undergrad, there's kind of the, this expectation, you know, you go into fields like investment banking or consulting. For sure. And, and a, to be like honest, Gold, a lot Gold of it. Or McKinsey. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, the, the three big uh, consulting for sure. firms recruit heavily on campus. And um, uh, I had met, you know, as a freshman at Harvard, these roommates and, and colleagues who knew exactly what those career tracks were. And they had family members who, you know, worked in investment banking or in finance and were guiding them to go down these career paths. And, you know, I didn't uh, honestly have that support system. And my parents didn't know what a consultant did or what an investment banker really did. Um, those things just weren't on my radar. Um, so that, that's, like, I, I think, actually one of the examples of, you know, what it means to enter into a place like Harvard um, given your, your diverse backgrounds and how it impacts, you know, your career choices. Um, so I was on the teaching path and it just so happens that, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, on campus, uh, you know, ended up getting a job at Axon, um, through someone, um, you know, in the fraternity we were in, the founder and CEO of Axon, um, was actually a Harvard alum, Rick Smith, and he's just an incredible mentor of mine. Um, who ultimately convinced me to, to join uh, Axon for an internship and, uh, wow. and then to, gave me an offer to, to join that team. And, you know, I, after that summer internship, I, I didn't look back. I basically signed that offer right away to come back That's and amazing. continue so that it's mission. A, so it's like almost like a working MBA in tech. Like it's, you're working That's and right. learning, exactly. you're learning on the job. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. So, so, you know, coming from Harvard when, in 2011, 2012, everybody was still very singular-minded, uh, focused on finance or law or, you know, consulting. I think the Harvard Innovation Lab, you know, was uh, was opened my senior year or the year after mm -hmm. I graduated. So technology as a field wasn't established on campus like it was at Stanford or University of Washington at the time uh, at Harvard, um, and it was kind of a contrarian and left field move to uh, yeah. go into tech right yeah. out of school and people are like what are you doing like what yeah. is this oh, never mind sure. you know it wasn't facebook or microsoft or, yeah. or even amazon it was this no-name company that right. no one had heard of um in arizona of all places um without a track record of really delivering you know um software technology but uh you know that summer and, and getting exposure to just how mission-driven uh, the individuals on that team were. You know, I was on the team that um, of people who originally came up with the concept of, hey, let's, we should put a, you know, a camera sensor on every police officer in the country to make policing more transparent, uh, you know, for both sides of the camera. Um, but, you know, in particular, we knew it could help minority lower-income communities here in the U.S. Um, so that mission was just so amazing to me. And I found, you know, the perfect balance of, business and social impact in yeah. Axon at the time. Um, yeah. You know, when we first joined, it was, it was definitely not at all apparent that body cameras were going to be a success. And, yeah. and now it's of, like you can't see a police officer without an Axon camera. Right. Totally, it's totally. Like mainstream now. And, you know, I think once you felt the real world impact of your work, like uh, I have with you know, seeing body cameras on the nightly news, on YouTube, on Facebook, and on the street on a daily basis, and, and just having that wow moment, like, wow, we, we built that. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really special moment. And, you know, once you've had 
that feeling of you know really being able to impact society in a positive, meaningful, tangible way. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do anything else that that doesn't have that outcome. So, yeah. so it's it's certainly a one way street where um, you know you feel the impact of your work and you want to continue to to make an impact. And ultimately, that's why we decided on um, creating Possible Finance. Yeah. Tell me about the, um, how you came up with the idea for possible finance with, and how many co-founders and mm-hmm. tell me about that whole beginning, like walk me through. I remember the beginning sure. of my company. Those were my favorite, like energizing moments mm-hmm. of the business. I'd love to know how you came up with the name and just all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm one of the co-founders. I'm one yeah. of the three co-founders of possible finance. My other two co-founders, uh, Prasad and Tyler were early software leaders at, uh, at Axon where we all worked. Uh, collectively, I think we spent 26 years working uh, there to make body cameras a reality. Um, and they were the, the actually the very first two software hires that helped scale the original software team. I was an early product manager. Um, you know, we just got along really well and you know, uh, Axon was growing very, very rapidly. When we moved up to Seattle to help jumpstart the Seattle product and engineering office, I think it had maybe 10 people um, in the Smith Tower, and now there's about 300 people uh, today. So very, very fortunate to have been a part of that ride and to have learned many, many challenges and, and or overcome these challenges, learn new skills, and uh, been in the trenches together for so many uh, years and for so many tough projects. Um, and it just kind of came time. You know, by the end of 2017, we realized that pretty much every police agency was going to have a body camera, and it was it was it was time for us to to go do something in a different space to learn something. Yeah. It's a different um, phase, frankly, of, phase of the business too. You're like, there's the building yeah. and then there's mm-hmm. the maintaining. Totally right, different right. skill set and different energy. And you're still, you know, young in your career and ready to grow and learn. Exactly. The three of us were very much builders and mm-hmm. uh, we were really excited about earlier stage products and projects. Um, so we got together and, um, we started thinking about, you know, what can we do to impact lower income minority communities in very much the same way that, that we had done with body cameras. Um, and as a product manager, you know, working in the kind of law enforcement space, you, you go on these ride alongs where you sit in the cop car and you go wherever the police officers go to observe, you know, their challenges to see how they use your product, really embed yourself. Um, so I've done these ride alongs in, many neighborhoods across the country in, you know, metropolitan areas, urban areas, you're not spending time in, you know, upscale neighborhoods. A lot of times you're, you're in kind of the poorest communities across the country. Um, and you're not, you know, arresting people all the time or even most of the time, what you're doing is going into those communities to build relationships. You're talking to people, you're, um, learning about, you know, what the, uh, the kids in this neighborhood are, are up to and you're, you're building these really valuable relationships with the community. You're trying to build trust. Um, and, and that allowed me to be exposed um, once again to just really how, you know, these lower income communities uh, live and thrive. And, and one thing you realize that there are really very few bank branches in lower income neighborhoods across America. Um, but there are these payday loan stores, pawn mm-hmm. shops, title lending, check cashing, I mean, there's more payday loan stores in this country than there are Starbucks's. Yeah. So I, I read that. I, I read that. And McDonald's and Starbucks. That's just crazy. That's right. Crazy. And and what we realized was just that there's so many Americans who 
um, don't use the same financial services that you and I do. And, and frankly, they don't have access to it because their credit score is non-existent or their credit score is below 600. Uh, and actually 91 million Americans fall into that category. It's, it's not just a small sliver of the population. Yeah. It's a major, major portion of, of it's Americans. Almost, almost, a, almost a third of the, about, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I did read that half of Americans, and this made me really sad, um, you know, can't afford an emergency expense over four hundred dollars. And that's right. That's and exactly seeing, it. And then seeing the statistic of of these banks, you know, that they're taking in twenty five billion in overdraft fees from these low low um, mm-hmm. income Americans, it 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 gets you right in the heart. Like it's just unacceptable, right. and it does right. feel overwhelming. And like, what do you do? So, is this the data that you were taking in when you were yep. like to think about? Possible? That's right. That's right. So in 2017, you know, we looked at some some trends. Um, one, we we studied microfinance and how it's done internationally. Um, and it's interesting when you know when microfinance is done in Kenya or um, in uh, Southeast Asia, you know, it's touted as this this really valuable thing, and it is. It's it's um, economic empowerment. It fundamentally lifts um, up communities and give people opportunity to improve their lives. Uh, yet when you know, microfinance is done in, in America, a lot of times it's, it's called payday lending or check cashing. Mm. And yeah. um, the system doesn't quite work as well. Um, so, so we were trying to apply, you know, this, this concept of microfinance and the best practices of technology to Americans right here at home, because you're exactly right. The average American can't afford an emergency expense that's greater than $400. Like we have a microfinance challenge right here at home. And, you know, Talking about being American and having always worked on issues that, you know, fundamentally we're hoping to improve the lives of, of Americans. Um, you know, we're just very, very passionate about trying to tackle this this problem of financial services right here at home. It's an, it's incredible. And so you came up with the idea, and then um, together you like formed a company. And then did you bootstrap it, or yep. did you go raise money, or how did you how did you get it started? Yep. So I, I do want to I do want to give credit to uh, one particular individual uh, that that's a mutual friend of ours, Andy Liu, uh, who um, you know founded Unlock Venture Partners here in Seattle. Um, we were a team looking for um, you know an interesting social driven idea when we linked up with Andy uh, in the middle of 2017, and uh, it was actually um, you know Andy who. Um, gave us a lot of encouragement to say, hey, you should look into this space. You know, you would really find this, uh, you know, impactful and it's just rife with these issues. Um, so so we, we actually linked up with Andy. Uh, he's, uh, you know, a small co-founder in the company and is, is uh, him and his partners, Sanjay and Razi, are crucial to the success that we experienced. Uh, even today, Andy's still on my board. Um, yeah. And I'm so- sure he's the most impactful board member ever because he's he's just like, <laughs> he's like the wise one and he's got and he's got operating experience he's not just and he's strategic he's got intros he that guy knows everybody totally shout out to andy Liu. if you're an yeah. entrepreneur listening to this you got to reach out to to andy and, yeah well uh, he's a big, he's a big fan of yours he's told me about you for a while and i was so excited when he introduced us because um i've been tracking your career and tracking you mm. and i love the story um that I read about, like, tell me about the early days when you were like customer, um, kind of beta testing, standing outside these loan 
Like yeah, that, that's yeah. like the kind of entrepreneurship <laughs> story I love. Right. I hope I hope I hope I don't get myself in trouble with, no, with some fine. of these stories. But um, I found it online, know, so it's all good. Yeah, when we were uh, as a product manager, my first instinct in learning more about this problem and how do we go validate the problem and the pain points and the potential features we can build. Um, so I started standing outside payday loan stores here in Seattle. Um, you know, money trees. You, you know, there's one on Third Ave, and uh, try to visit and go inside, talk to the tellers notice the ambiance, the marketing material, try to talk to people online. And it was just kind of a, honestly, a painful process. Like no one wants to talk to you. It's raining in Seattle. They're just trying to get their stuff done and go home and take care of their families, right? Understandably. So um, it was pretty painful to, to do that in person. Um, not for the lack of, you know, trying, it was just, it was hard. Uh, and, and, you know, I realized that, uh, hey, this is really painful. How can we short circuit this, this process? Well, as it turns out, every brick and mortar payday loan store in this country has a Yelp page. And on Yelp, people leave reviews uh, and you can discern from these reviews whether they had a positive experience there or negative experience, whether they're to get a payday loan uh, or check cashing or Western Union, whether it was their first time being there or whether they're a longtime customer. So these incredible data points were right there online. Uh, and rather than standing outside a payday loan store, you know, in pouring rain in Seattle, I ended up getting on Yelp and sending out tens of thousands of messages. Turns out you can direct message Yelpers. So we DM'd tens of thousands of Yelpers all across the country, those who had left reviews um, recently about their payday loan experience. And uh, that's how we lined up our first, you know, couple of dozen user research calls to validate the problem. Oh, I love that. And what did you say in those emails? Were you like, hey, 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 it's me, Tony. <laughs> how do you even yeah, do that? right. How do you get them to right. respond like another spam? I get so many, you know? Totally, totally. And, and our customers aren't, you know, the most trusting individuals. They, they get burned right. a lot. Like, There's how a lot of identity right. theft. Of course. Right. There's a lot of fraud. Um, they've experienced just negative experiences with financial services. Um, so I, I think our approach has always been from a place of sincerity. You know, we genuinely want to help our customers. We're not in it just to make money. We're in it to have as big of an impact, social impact, and help improve people's lives. Um, and I think people can, can feel that, you know, people who interview with possible can feel that that's our culture. Our customers can feel that in the way we interact with them and the way we design our product. And, and that's been true since day one. And, you know, when we reach out to, to customers, um, you know, we share who we are, like, Hey, we're, we are uh, technologists. We know nothing about payday lending at the time. We knew nothing about your experiences. We just want to learn and help make your experience better. That's, that's amazing. And the vulnerability and also the opportunity to let someone um, teach anything. I think people love to do that, you know, like to, to give you that gift of knowledge of what their experience is and to feel like it's going to land in a place that's potentially going to improve their lives is amazing. So tell our listeners, um, I've obviously done my own research and you know this business inside and out. We could talk about it all day, but tell our listeners what the exact business does and what the business model is. Mm -hmm. Yep. So our business is to provide affordable short-term credit to lower income, hardworking individuals. Uh, the challenges with existing short-term credit options like a payday loan or an overdraft fee or one of those new age payroll advance apps today 
um, is that these products are all single payment loans in that you borrow $200 in a few days you return $200 plus fees, plus interest, plus tip, whatever it is. Um, and for a lot of people, it's very difficult to, to do that all at once. Um, and you effectively get constantly behind with your other bills right. because you're never able to catch your breath. So, so what's characteristic of, of a payday loan debt cycle is a customer borrows the same $200 or $300 every two weeks with every paycheck. They're borrowing the same amount, amount of money. They're paying fees every single time because they can never get out of that cycle. And another problem is no matter how many times you successfully repay a payday loan or an overdraft fee or a payroll advance app, you can never build credit history. So it's kind of a catch-22. You have to use um, you know, these types of financial services products that are more expensive and more harmful because you don't have good credit. Yet no matter how many times you successfully repay, you can never build credit to qualify for anything better. Right. So you're always stuck having to use these products and it's yeah. almost in the design. And then your credit your the credit score is going down, down, down. And then you're it's like it's a whole chicken and egg thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And even if you're trying to apply to, you know, a traditional lender, um, a lot of times what they do is they do a hard credit check. Uh, and then they deny you. And that hard credit check goes in your credit report, which further brings it down. Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. You there's are just no opportunity. Such a crazy, huge problem. I have a feeling that you're going to, like, literally take over this whole space. This is insane. I mean, I kind of got it. But just hearing it, I'm like, this is, this is incredible. And obviously, like, I feel really blessed that it's not a challenge that I'm in every day personally. But for those people, um, I read that you've made... This may be outdated, but 13,000 loans, is that right? Uh, so it's a little bit outdated. Uh, yeah. What we do, Shauna, is, is we provide, you know, on average, it's a $200 loan. But we allow all of our customers to repay instead of their very next paycheck mm-hmm. uh, in smaller bites, generally across their next four paychecks. Yeah. And that spreads the, the cost burden across those four paychecks and allow our customers to fundamentally catch their breath and break that cycle of debt. Yeah. While also with every successful on, on-time installment payment, we report to all three major credit bureaus, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian, to help our customers build up credit history. And the other unique thing is we don't do a hard credit pull or even any credit pull with the, the traditional bureaus, um, TransUnion, Equifax, and, or Experian, when we first um, ask the customer to apply. We have developed a novel machine learning technology to link directly with the customer's existing financial history and make a, a really intelligent credit decision in real time um, that doesn't require looking at the customer's traditional credit reports or doing yeah. a hard pull. So yeah. no hard pull up front, but the ability to build credit history. And uh, more importantly, we give our customers money rather than you know a secured credit card or a secured yeah. loan where they have to pay into it. And if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have money saved aside right. just to build up your credit score. You know, that's, that's, not, that's just not a reality. Right. So um, you know, we, we're actually providing what I believe is, is the most realistic and the most um, accessible way for lower income Americans to build or rebuild um, their financial health. And, yeah. and that's been a, a winning formula for us. It's, it's an incredible formula. And I, I read that you have think there were like almost 40,000 reviews on the app and mm-hmm. um and for the very few that were not you know stellar it was I think people who just didn't understand how to use the app and like 
-hmm. pretty much I read several of those too and they were just people who didn't understand what they were doing um, and expected mm -hmm. something that that wasn't what your business does um, but I don't know if you saw this one because I'm sure you're not reading all of them or maybe you are because it literally says to reach out to CEO at possible finance maybe it is you mm -hmm. um, I do talk to a lot of customers okay, I think well, I've talked I did, to I, 40 customers in the past month Oh gosh, well, of course you have, but it said, it was way longer than this, but this is just a little nugget. It said it was like borrowing money from a really good friend and having that friend increase your credit score. Mm, I just, I, I, just thought, I really thought you couldn't beat that because it's like nobody really wants to be in this position. Nobody wants to have to deal with the bureaucracy, the paperwork, the judgment, the shame, just all of it. And to make it that easy, and several talked about the speed how quickly they were like, oh my gosh, is this like the you know, Wizard of Oz? Like who's the person behind the curtain that's just like suddenly mm -hmm. have this money and the, the kind of breathing out, exhale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Theme that I was seeing throughout the reviews was incredible. I can imagine that being a, a real, um, kind of would get my juices flowing as the CEO. It's really exciting. Totally, totally. I mean, it, it, feels, it feels amazing to hear these stories on a daily yeah. basis. And oh, that, that's know. what keeps our team going. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, so, so to date, we've given out uh, more than half a million loans to customers. Well, yeah, I know I've read that, that, that you're growing 50% you're growing month over month. Is that accurate or is that even uh, You know, there was definitely a, a moment um, over the last few years where we were growing at that pace. Um, but I oh think you know, those were probably in the slightly earlier days than we are, we are today. But we're, we're still yeah. growing quite fast. You know, we, we yeah. raised a Series B from Unisquare Ventures, uh, really yeah. at the height of, of the COVID kind of economic crisis in, in April. Um, so we're just really fortunate to, to be in this position um, oh. to help our customers in this time of need. Absolutely. And what's been the thing that aside from the social impact and the, um, you know, good juju of working with two people that you trust as your co-founders and finding Andy, all these things kind of lining up, what's been the thing that's kind of surprised you most that you weren't expecting from this type of role as being a CEO? Mm as far as like the good and the bad, like I've loved this part. I was yeah. not expecting to hate this part. You know, the, the, when I reflect back on uh, exactly three years of, uh, of possible finance for me personally, um, the thing that stands out the most is this personal journey that I've been on uh, in terms of my personal growth. You know, I didn't, I, you know, you hear about personal growth from other founders when you first start, you know, hey, be prepared for that journey ahead. Um, the, the, the challenges, the roller coaster ride, uh, the self-discovery, um, but that wasn't really the, the purpose, you know, of us starting Possible. We were very focused on the mission and, and the, the ability to help, help and impact as many people as we can. You know, it wasn't about our personal growth at all, but looking back, um, the thing that surprised me most is, is how uh, much personal growth I've experienced as uh, a person, not just as a CEO, but as a human being over the last three years. Um, and I think that's been incredibly rewarding. It would not have happened uh, without me and our founders and our team challenging me and, and challenging us on a daily basis uh, to get better and to continue to, to learn. So uh, that's been incredibly fulfilling um, for me as an individual. So that's, that's definitely been the biggest surprise out of all this. And, and you know, of course, I'm still uh, on that journey of, of self-discovery and of growing. It doesn't, it doesn't end. 
No, it, I've, I've, I've heard it described as just a spiral staircase. You, know, you just totally. keep on going up and yeah. up and you kind of yeah. go in circular. So you feel yeah. like you've made some discovery. And then you're like, oh, wait, in my, four, in my 40s, I don't really want to bring that into my 40s, like my stuff. And then you're mm -hmm. like, oh, wait, no, okay, fine. In my 50s, you know, it's just, I think that, yeah, it's a constant um, evolving experience. And I think it's great to be able to be so reflective and so present because you're mm -hmm. drinking from the fire hose, as they say, and you're just like really on this rocket ship. And mm -hmm. to be able to take a moment um, to just even have any sort of reflective time is, is amazing. Um, I am curious on the, in the business, well, you were gonna say something else about like um, what you haven't liked, I guess. There's probably stuff mm. that you're like, oh, I don't know if I like. I think we talked a little bit about, and I don't know if you want me to say this on the podcast, so we can always cut it out, but <laughs> um, you, you were just like, I kind of don't love the front facing, like, I got to be like the, 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 uh, whatever, even being on a podcast or the attention, mm -hmm. the attention yep. part, like you want to yeah. be the, the attention on the customer, the attention on the employees. Right. Um, right. So we've been, um, we've been fairly focused you know, as a company and we, you know, Shauna, this is the first podcast that I've ever done. Woohoo. Uh, I owe this yeah. another, another Andy Lou shout out, or I guess I know. This might be just a Tony shout out because you were brave and vulnerable and willing and I'm super grateful. And um, yeah, I can say I knew you well, went. <laughs> I know, you know, you, you're my first and uh, please go easy on me, you know, get, <laughs> take it easy. And uh, no, it's, it's been great. But the, the reason that I haven't done, you know, any interviews or you know, we're not out in front with, you know, a lot of publicity um, is because I, I just really believe in focusing on the product experience and on our customers. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think one thing I learned really well from uh, my former managers, um, Rick Smith at Axon and, and Luke and others is, is uh, servant leadership and, and, you know, really putting your team uh, in front of your own interests and, totally. and making sure that, um, you know, you lead by example. Yeah. So the culture that we have at, at Possible is very much, you know, salt of the earth we we focus on our customers we focus on the work it's it's very low ego um we are uh you know generally there to support one another rather than you know fight for fiefdom or credit or anything like that yeah um so so that's it's it's been really special for me to just over the last three years really really focus inward on our business now of course there are times where it's in the best interest of the business for me to um, you know, speak publicly or, or do those things. Um, I'd say I'm, I'm naturally not, um, you know, I don't gravitate towards those types of uh, events or opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, first foremost, I need to make sure that, that my team is taken care of and yeah. internal systems issues um, are, are addressed first. And yeah. um, that's more, that's always been more important for, for me personally. So, yeah. Over time, though, we've developed really great people within Possible to handle um, issues, to continue scaling the product, to continue building, you know, this incredible mission. And uh, uh, it's given me a little bit more opportunity and, and time as well to, to uh, speak and, and do more public facing. Yeah. Events well, like I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm your first and, and hopefully I'm yeah. taking it easy on you. So the, the people that I did read about, um, you know, your customers that you're... Um, that, that you hold so dear, how do they even find out about you? You guys target them on mm -hmm. Instagram or Facebook or mm -hmm. 
what, yep, what are your advertising or marketing? Like how do, how do they even discover that this yep. is an option? Yeah, so our biggest channel is actually um, organic. So 40% of our customers who find us or who, who uh, use possible each month, new customers who, who use possible each month, um, find us, they're, they're organic customers. You know, when I first started, uh, there was a very well-known VC in the consumer fintech space who said, Tony, you know, nothing really grows virally or by word of mouth in your space. You know, people are just ashamed of the, the fact that they're borrowing money and they don't want to talk about it. You know, it's, it's not something you want to talk about. Hey, I got a payday loan here or, or, you know, I have to use this thing because I'm, I'm not able to pay for something. Um, well, as it turns out, if you help people in a fair way and you leave an impression and you're so different from the existing status quo and you help them boost their credit score, sometimes for the first time in, in uh, ever or in decades, you know, that's something they're really proud of and they're going to tell their friends, family and coworkers about it. So we have really incredible word of mouth growth. Um, you know, people find us in the app store, people are starting to find our website. Uh, and that's been an incredible channel for us. And it's, it's incredible validation for our team and for our product uh, of having strong product market fit and really solving genuine pain points for our customers. Yeah. Uh, but we also, we also grow through other channels, you know, such as Facebook and, and uh, we have a number of, of channels that, that our growth team are currently testing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so we've talked a lot about the customers and I, I love what you've built, but I'm, as a recruiter, I, I feel like it's necessary to kind of go to what you touched on briefly, which is your culture. And um, mm -hmm. so I'm curious, you said, um, I don't know what word you said, something like down to earth, maybe. How do you, mm. how do you even vet for that when you're recruiting? Like um, what types mm. of people, what, how would you describe a possible employee? Like the, the ideal, someone's listening mm. to this, like, I want to work yeah. at that company. And you're like, mm. actually, don't apply if you're X. Like, obviously, no assholes. Mm. But like, mm -hmm. what else? Like, what's a, what's a possible right. employee? Well, we definitely have a kind of that, you know, no asshole um, policy. Um, we care a lot about our culture and our ability to work together as a team. Um, I would say, you know, for me personally, I gravitate towards people who are... You know, a little bit understated, who maybe are less proven and have uh, somewhat of a chip on their shoulder. Um, something but have something just, to prove, yeah. Yeah, very high capacity to learn and to, and to grow. Mm -hmm. um, so I gravitate towards those types of individuals um, rather than kind of the individual that's, you know, been there, done that. You know, they've worked at a lot of the, the best companies in the industry and, you know, have a lot of uh, experience, but also potentially a lot of baggage and you know, existing ways of doing things. And that you don't you want them to be enti no entitlement. Yeah. There's certainly oh, much, no entitlement. How much do you think your experience, and this might be come off wrong, but I recruited for many years in New York and mm -hmm. I recruited in like investment banking and management consulting. And I had so many candidates that were pedigreed, you know, out of the Ivy mm -hmm. Leagues. And, right. and, and several that had what you're talking about, that kind of entitled, like, well, I've already kind of paid my dues. So now I'm ready right. for this. Um, and you're so not that person. You're so humble and so show so much gratitude. Do you almost feel that you um, shy away from candidates who have too much pedigree, or like uh, you're almost yeah. pe penalizing them, or, yeah, you, right, the, or is it a vetting of like, well, at least I know they're smart? I I certainly you know uh, candidly, if we see you know a Harvard MBA resume or 
um, you know, someone who comes from, you know, one of the big consulting firms, we don't shy away from it. We think that's great. It's great training ground. It's a great network of people. Uh, it shows a certain level of rigor and intelligence and, and grit to get there. Um, but the first thing we do is to make sure that there's not an ego or uh, a sense of entitlement. And, and, and the way we do that is by focusing on their ability to buy into the mission. You know, we have a lot of people who come to us um, who've worked in nonprofits or who've been teachers or you know, a few people who've actually started their own organizations to do lending to lower income individuals right here in America as an alternative to payday loans. And they understand these challenges uh, that we're tackling very, very well. And they're just passionate, regardless of which seat they're in on the bus about helping us towards our mission. And, and that's the culture that I certainly like to build. Um, but we do have, uh, you know, we do, we do recruit from great universities yeah. and we do recruit of from course. places like Facebook. Um, I think that the, you know, when you talk about earlier, the impact we have on our customers, like, you know, being able to build credit for the very first time, like that's a very empowering experience. Um, in fact, one of our cultural values is empower with trust. And, um, you know, what that means for our customers is that a lot of times we're the only company that's empowering our customers with trust. They've been denied by everyone else. You know, they get denial letters left and right, and they're just so dejected and, and down. Uh, and they never, that, that, oh, it's almost like that sense of rejection is what's holding them back. It feels just impossible to yeah, make progress. The, la the lack of hope, the lack of like right. getting over the hump. Because no one believes in you. No yeah. one is believing in you. Yeah. And no one is giving you a chance. And when we say, hey, we will trust you with this money. Like we trust you to pay it back. We trust you to do with, this money to, to improve your lives, to feed your family, to do whatever you need to do. Um, that act of trust that we place in our customers is incredibly empowering for our customers. And a lot of times it helps them jumpstart their journey towards, you know, viewing financial services in a different way or, or viewing their, you know, credit score in a different way and allows them to finally, you know, start improving their financial health long-term. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of why we named the, the company Possible Finance as well. So wow. many Americans have, you know, feel that just improving their financial health is impossible. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's not something they've, they've ever been taught. No one in their family has ever had good credit scores or right. maybe even have ever used a credit card, have right. ever owned a home. Um, so it's just, it's just something that, that's so out of reach uh, for millions of Americans. And we, and we want them to have this impression that it's possible, you know, with yeah. possible finance. Oh, I love that. It's such a good name. I mean, it really is. So how would you say, yeah, I know that we, I, we talked, we, we were giving Andy Lou literally like ridiculous amounts of mojo here, but right. you know, this is like a fourth, <laughs> a fourth shout out for him. But I know Andy, I don't know your other board members, but now this is shifting gears toward, I always think through the perspective of like, who might be listening to this? Because I really have no idea. Um, I'm, so I'm thinking about it as a mom, like, okay, what nuggets can I get for my kids? And then other entrepreneurs, maybe, you know, maybe someone is looking for a job. Um, or potential hire, or potential client, customer for you. So for other entrepreneurs, as they're thinking about putting together, um, you know, their pitch deck and they're going to go out and they're going to fundraise, um, a lot of entrepreneurs I've talked to have talked about the lessons learned, like what they would do differently. 
um, or how to think about not just, oh my gosh, you're willing to give me money, like I'll take it. How to, how to pick board members and investors and what attributes you should think about and just like lessons learned. If you were to go do, okay, now I'm mm. gonna sold possible or took possible public, now I'm on my next one, this is what I'm gonna do mm -hmm. differently this time. Well, I'd certainly think twice about raising venture funding. At all. Because I think, yeah. at all, I think with that comes certain expectations of growth. And, yeah. um, you know, it works for us with possible finance, but, um, you know, we were first time founders without much resources uh, or money to our name. So it wasn't like we could have really done much, especially in the lending space where it's very capital intensive, right, right from the get go. Um, so it wasn't really an option for us. Uh, to, to not raise venture funding. And that's what, that's the path we went down. But if I could build another business um, with my co-founders, which I'd love to one day, uh, I think, I think for, for me, it's, it's actually making sure that you control your destiny. And uh, this is something we think long and hard about at possible where, you know, we are providing credit, but uh, we also have, the tools and the systems in place, the technology in place to charge more and to um, scale in a way that that maximizes, you know, profit rather than impact to our customers in a way that could be harmful to our customers, like many of our competitors. Um, and it's really important to find investors and board members who genuinely believe the same things you do and genuinely prioritizes impact over you know profits or short-term profits at, at least um so to find the people whether it's co-founders whether it's advisors whether it's early investors in your company you've got to find people that that believe in you and believe in your vision and don't let anybody else um talk you into into um you know not believing in yourself uh, yeah. or in or don't let anybody be in a position where they can guide, you know, your business down a path that right. um, they have too much impact, and and then you're compromising on your values. Yeah. So so we've been incredibly fortunate, you know, with Andy, Rebecca Lynn from Canvas Ventures, who led our Series A, and Jillian Munson from Uniscore Ventures, who led our Series B. With every round, it's been about uh, for us, you know, when we think about fundraising, the first thing we think about is, okay, how do we create a list of people we want to reach out to, VCs that we believe are mission aligned. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, I get asked by VCs, hey, what do you look for in a VC or board member? My first response is always mission alignment. Yeah. Because the board, depending on who's on the board, can uh, influence this organization in, in very negative ways. And uh, we want to make sure that, that that never happens. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've chosen well. And um, I don't know the two other board members that you mentioned, but um, it sounds like they're both female, which I like to that's hear. That's right. Little, That's diverse, right. mm -hmm. little diversity, I like that. Mm -hmm. um, and how are you thinking about diversity as it relates to your recruiting mission? It's something we've just started to talk about uh, internally um, just this week uh, more seriously. And, uh, you know, candidly speaking, I think we have an issue at Possible today where our community within Possible doesn't quite represent the people, the customers that we serve. We mm -hmm. have a disproportionately African-American and Latinx customer base, and we're not doing enough in um, having those groups represented internally yeah. as possible. Yeah. So, you know, it comes down to 
Um, you know, you can be the CEO of Wells Fargo and make uh, a ridiculous statement and say that it's, it's, it's really hard to attract talent, diverse talent, because, um, you know, it's just, it's just hard to find them where they don't exist. I think that's, yeah. that's certainly not the case. Um, the talent exists uh, and we are committed to devoting more resources financially in order to create a more diverse organization that accurately or reflects the makeup of our customer base so that there's representation of our customers within our organization. So we're, yeah. we're, we're very far off from where we want to be. And it's, um, you know, it's something that, that I'm pretty focused on. Recognizing it, talking about it. None of us have the answers. We're very focused on it as well. We're putting a lot of rigor around training and development around sourcing and being able to, to present us a diverse slate of candidates, make sure that it's representative of the actual community versus mm -hmm. just, you know, a certain subset. Um, and it's definitely something that is like the, the North star, but it, it's like just keeping disciplined around discussing it and making it a, a, um, a topic coming from the top down, I think is really important. And I think it's great that you're putting more resources and time around it because I think it'll definitely pay, pay back just as far as diversity of thought and, and giving you a new perspective. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Well, I love what you're building. I would be super curious to know about you personally. Like, uh, what are you liking to do right now? You said you're playing the guitar, you're learning, kind of strumming with your nubby little fingers. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying, right. I'm <laughs> going so well. How are you, like, unwinding? We've got so much happening all at once. It's kind of the twilight zone right now. Plus, you're building this rocket ship company, fundraising during this time. How are you just like checking mm -hmm. out? Like, what do you do to just be like, I need my me time? Yeah, I think it's um, making sure you create distance between work and personal life. And that's so much harder, as you know, with mm -hmm. distributed work and everybody working from home. We actually made the decision um, to transition to fully distributed. And we have now team members from all across the globe. So really embracing, you know, the permanence of work from home and thinking about it more long-term. We, we basically said, hey, is this pandemic gonna be over in six months, nine months, a year? It may not be, and we cannot afford to be bad at building culture, to be bad at recruiting, to be bad at onboarding, to be bad at you know, strategy in, a, you know, in this environment. We have to get really good at it. And if we're gonna invest our time and effort to get really good at it, we might as well just fully embrace it yeah. and commit to being a fully distributed company. Yeah. So for, uh, for anybody interested out there who you know works uh, in a different part of the world and you're interested in our mission, you know now is a great time to join us uh, because uh, we're going to put uh, the experience of uh, distributed uh, team members first. You know we're still maintaining an office here in Seattle, but it's been converted to a co-working space, and I've committed to not be in the office more than once a month, even though my apartment is is literally a minute away from our, our office. Um, just so I can experience the pains of, you know, working from home. And it has been a challenge. Uh, yeah. for, for me, it's, it's just making sure, you know, when uh, the time comes on the weekends to completely uh, separate myself from my computer and to, you know, get out uh, in the woods or, um, you know, just to, just to completely unplug. And, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning, you're right back at it. You're fully engaged. Uh, you, you're able to focus on work. Make sure you got your routines down, um, yeah. but but yeah, that separation you know is really important, and we've been trying really hard to 
you know, not ping people on Slack after five o'clock every night and not to ping people on the weekends um, and just establishing some more boundaries mm-hmm. for folks. Uh, and that, that's for me worked really well as well. Yeah, I have heard also, I do, we do a lot of recruiting around HR and a lot of HR leaders that I get to talk to all the time are talking about putting resources and time and energy around mental health for their team members because it's such a crazy time and because people are feeling that burnout um, because of what you said, like not many leaders are thinking, let's not send Slack at like, you know, 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're, you're, you've got the winning formula in every way. We're trying. I'm super, super proud to know you. I'm really thrilled to learn about you and the business. And um, my ultimate question that I ask everyone is what fuels you? What fuels me? Being able to impact the world at scale in a meaningful way. And that makes the world a better place. And I think that's um, from teaching and seeing that in my family to you know what we're doing what we're doing at possible um i think that's what ultimately motivates me to keep on going so i'm just super fortunate to be doing what i'm doing it's a dream job i can't imagine doing anything else and i absolutely love the impact that we're having uh, especially during this trying time in america for lower income individuals um we're really excited about the opportunity ahead of us Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for joining the podcast. Um, And we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.